2: Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential, and it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind, challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, And help you to embody the greatest version of yourself, as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life, and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to episode 118 of the Holistic Health and Human Potential Show. My name is Ronnie Landis, I am your host as always. We have an incredible episode lined up for you with Dr. Eben Alexander and Karen Newell. Before we dive into that, I want to let you know that if you have a burning desire to really take your holistic health and natural nutrition and optimizing your lifestyle education to a completely new level, And Maybe you are a health coach or an aspiring health coach and you really want to take your own knowledge and your own understanding of the practical applications for not only helping yourself but helping your clients and also developing an incredible health coaching business, then I want to invite you to take a look at my holistic health mastery program by going to www.holistichealthmastery.com. This is one of the world's most comprehensive and well-organized, well-thought-out holistic health courses on the internet by far. And I want to invite you to take a look at it. And again, the website is www.holistichealthmastery.com. We have a lot of incredible plans for where this program is going. We're already serving hundreds of students from around the world. And where it is about to go is a quantum leap in where it has been. And uh, I just can't say enough about this. This is my baby. This is something that I am incredibly proud of. And it's an honor to serve all the incredible health coaches and health enthusiasts around the world that get involved with this program. So again, the website is www.holistichealthmastery.com. And I look forward to seeing you on the other end of that particular course. So moving forward with today's interview... Dr. Eben Alexander and Karen Newell. I mean, what is there to say? These are two extraordinary human beings in the spiritual world, the metaphysics, quantum physics. And I would also say health and wellness because their message is really about, you know, not directly, but indirectly optimizing the human experience by really understanding that This thing we call life, this human incarnation is something extraordinary. And there's an extraordinary level of vitality and a level of of inspiration and a level of wellness that comes about us when we feel directly connected to something beyond our physical body. And that's really what the work of Dr. Eben Alexander speaks to. I had Dr. Eben Alexander, who at this moment is one of the world's—I would say—he's one of the world's greatest and in, in really leading voices in the quantum physics and spiritual-based um, education or information in the world. And he wrote an incredible book called *The Proof of Heaven*. And I've read—I've read that book a few times. I had him on a while back. Episode 89, one of our most popular episodes, in an incredible conversation with him. And now he's joined by his partner, Karen Newell, who is equally um, prolific and really just immersed in the metaphysical world, and she brings in a very unique component with auditory optimization. So optimizing how how our brain receives particular stimulus through um by Narrow beats and a really interesting conversation this was an incredible conversation one that i think is going to really give you some aha moments some insights if anything else some deep deep hope and inspiration that everything in our life no matter how challenging it may seem all is well and all is working for us and um you know that I just don't know what else to say about this. Just an incredible conversation. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let it go at that. I'm looking forward to listening to the feedback and what people thought about this episode. It's it's truly near and dear to my heart, and it was an honor to participate in this conversation. So without further ado, enjoy this recording between myself and Dr. Eben Alexander and Karen Newell. Eben Alexander was an academic neurosurgeon for more than 25 years, including 15 years at Brigham and Women's Hospital, Children's Hospital and Harvard Medical School in Boston with a passionate interest in physics and cosmology. He is the author of the New York Times number one bestseller, Proof of Heaven and the Map of Heaven. Karen Newell is a lifelong seeper, seeker of esoteric wisdom and has amassed a wealth of firsthand experience exploring realms of consciousness. She is the co-founder of Sacred Acoustics, an innovator in the emerging field of brainwave entrainment audio recordings used to help listeners reach transcendental states of awareness. It is my supreme honor and pleasure to have both of you on to the show. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time, and I'm excited about where this is going to take us.
0: Well, great, Ronnie. Thanks
2: so much for having us on. It's great to be here.
1: Yes, thank you.
2: My pleasure. Um, The audience knows, or most the audience knows, but just in case anyone doesn't know, a little while back, me and Dr. Alexander did an incredible interview. I think it's episode 89. So if anybody wants to get a really deep dive glimpse into your background, Dr. Alexander, and your amazing journey that was really focused on the proof of heaven and your experience, um, I definitely recommend everybody go back to that interview. But right here and now, we're going to talk about your, your new book, both of your book, Living in a Mindful Universe. And I think it would be helpful to get a little bit of context, maybe to bridge those two conversations. What about this new book and this message? Um, I suppose maybe it's a, even like an expansion or evolution of the previous work. What, what sets this apart than the previous work?
0: Well, I think the the main point is that uh, you know having an extraordinary life changing nde uh, will shock one into uh, a whole new level of trying to understand reality, but that doesn't mean you figure it all out I mean uh, assimilating an nde can take uh, years if not decades uh, and in my particular case uh, as a neuroscientist as a neurosurgeon uh, especially with such uh, a profound, uh, basically, deletion of of all of my brain's contents uh, during the coma and apparent uh, early on in recovery from coma, but then having a full recovery, even beyond full, of uh, all of my prior memories and everything and cognitive abilities was really a shocker. Uh, And I think any physician who I discuss my case with uh, is similarly shocked by this uh, level of recovery, Uh, And not only that, of course, um, to me, even a deeper mystery was how in the world could I have had any kind of spiritual experience? Because our modern neuroscience would very summarily dismiss um, um, the possibility that my brain, given the medical facts of my case, the neurologic exams, the uh, rapid progression of my meningoencephalitis, uh, spending a week in coma – Um, All of the scans that showed that all eight lobes of my brain were affected. uh, And then this uh, really uh, frightening clinical course uh, that was basically a downward spiral over seven days uh, is then shocked by the fact that I could have any experience in that. um, Mainly because of the documented damage to my neocortex. And so... What I saw in that journey was something that absolutely violated everything I thought I knew in terms of neuroscientific principles about the role of the neocortex, the outer surface of the brain, the human part of the brain, in uh, generating all the details of conscious awareness. Because, in fact, as my brain was progressively dismantled, especially my neocortex, but also my brainstem, because that was also damaged based on neurologic exams, uh, even in the emergency room at the very outset, uh, so uh, basically, that was the biggest mystery uh, to me, certainly, having gone through the experience. But uh, I would say that my fellow physicians were similarly shocked because, I mean, the evidence they saw was this uh, extraordinary recovery that, from the viewpoint of modern Western medicine, would be looked at as uh, simply miraculous. Now, of course, I've come to realize that miraculous healing is something you commonly encounter in the NDE world, in the near-death experience world. But still, it's a a shocking uh, reality to have this kind of recovery, and even more so, in my mind, is to have had such an extraordinary ultra-real experience um, deep in the midst of coma. I mean, that has no explanation from our conventional scientific viewpoint. And what I've come to realize in the nine years since my coma is that my journey uh, parallels exactly the journey of discovery coming to the modern world of philosophers of mind and neuroscience of consciousness and trying to understand more deeply that connection between brain and mind. And that's why I think Living in a Mindful Universe is such an important book because it really brings the reader up to speed of the current level of this discussion about the relationship of brain and mind and the nature of consciousness. And in fact, it has everything to do with the underlying nature of reality. Uh, Because even our concepts of time and space and mass and energy and causality uh, are completely linked to how this uh, mind-body discussion goes. So uh, it's a very important uh, topic, uh, important for the world currently. Uh, And for the individual reader, it has tremendous importance because – The worldview that dominates in science and philosophy is shifting rapidly all around this question of consciousness and relationship of brain and mind. And the individual reader can take advantage of much of this information in terms of their own personal growth and understanding and uh, to accomplish things like uh, achieving much greater creativity, uh, guidance, understanding, health. Uh, I mean, all of these things are deeply rooted uh, in an understanding of how we can more fully manifest the free will of our higher soul, as I like to put it. Uh, And this is what living in a mindful universe is all about, uh, is that manifestation on behalf of the individual soul on their journey uh, to achieve a much greater sense of connection and oneness with the universe and becoming more whole and complete, uh, healthy, and uh, every bit of that.
2: Mm, yeah. And I really love the title. It really, it really, it really kind of like has a encoded message into it, living in a mindful universe. It kind of hints that the universe is a living thing and that we're participating in it. And I'm, I'm curious, Karen, like what, I know that you two kind of converged on opposite ends of the spectrum. So I'm curious, how do how does Karen like what is a little bit about your, your background and how you two kind of your two worlds came together?
1: All right. Well, I was one of those people from a very young age that didn't really believe what I was being taught in my religious uh, teachings and my secular school teachings. I didn't understand, uh, you know, certain things about religion and God that was, were being explained to me. I would be told, you know, for example, at Methodist church camp to go out in the woods and commune with God. And I didn't see God anywhere. And as a child, I challenged my minister and said, what's what's up? Where is God? And I don't think I believe in him. And he said, that's okay." And so at church camp, I would commune with nature and I would feel one with the trees and the sand and the the birds and anything that was around in nature and, of course, later I realized that many people think that God is that force of nature. But I had it more in that pure sense without the dogma. And likewise, in uh, secular school, I learned a lot about our ancient history. For example, the Great Pyramids that were supposedly built in Egypt by uh, you know thousands, thousands of slaves mm-hmm. to be tombs for pharaohs. Mm-hmm. Now, when I learned about this, this sounded like nonsense to me. And uh, we were also told that today's engineering uh, capabilities couldn't duplicate how those pyramids were built. And so I didn't believe things at face value. I really questioned how in the world do we, you know, what is our purpose? Why are we here? And I wasn't finding those answers in traditional education. And Mm -hmm. I started searching in other kinds of texts, for example, Plato's, Atlantis. He talks about, you know, this ancient civilization that was very advanced, you know, thousands of years ago. That is supposedly a myth, but it rang true to me. And so I began searching and I read things like the Kabbalah. I read theosophical texts. I really went outside the bounds of normal Western learning. And I started finding that some of those things seemed more true to me. And I always kind of trusted my inner knowing. Somehow I, I wasn't, uh, beaten out of, you know, trusting those kinds of sources. And as I went along through life, I realized that reading about all of these things certainly brought some kinds of answers. We were able to think about these sorts of things. But I eventually came to realize that personal experience was very key to really knowing things firsthand. And I began to try to meditate, for example. I thought that would be a great place to start. But it was very challenging for me. I could not get my, I guess, monkey mind, that constant chatter that many of us have. I could not get it to settle down. I was a very busy project manager in the publishing and technology world, and I was more making plans and lists and having imaginary conversations. Now, eventually, I found that sound was a key to uh, helping to settle my mind, specifically brainwave entrainment technology. And that's exactly the setting where Evan and I first met. Now, he had already had his near-death experience, but he had not written the book Proof of Heaven yet. He had taken all those notes that he talked about, but he had not found a publisher and an official, you know, book uh, that other people could read. And so I was curious when I met him, because I knew others who'd had near-death experiences, and I knew that people usually learned really important spiritual lessons and I asked him, you know, what did you learn on your near-death experience? And and he says to me with great enthusiasm, the brain doesn't create consciousness. And I thought, well, huh, why would anyone think that it does? And mm. so this was very interesting. We came from these two different worlds because in the spiritual world, in a, a lot of esoteric and uh, Alternative sort of texts, they speak of the fact that our minds are the foundation of all that exists. So to me, this was a concept very easily understood. I'd always understood that our souls, that our innate sort of beingness, was eternal. But uh, when we first met, Evan was just discovering some of those realms, and uh, so it was very interesting. I didn't know a lot about science, of course, now I do, especially in the process of co-authoring this book, but Evan didn't know a lot about those kind of more spiritual teachings beyond traditional religion. And so we were able to really fill in a lot of gaps with uh, knowledge that each of us had, and that's how we were able to create this book that really brings science and spirituality together in ways that I have to say I've never seen in all the books I've done. Mm. But that's kind of how it all began. Mm.
2: It's, it's very interesting to me. I'm, I'm really curious what your perspectives are on the nature of divine timing, you know, especially as it pertains to both of you joining forces at this point in time and not sooner as it may appear that that would have been more opportune to bring your, your, both of your work into the world.
0: Well, uh, as as we often say, there are no accidents. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that uh, the universe has great wisdom, and that's what we see in a lot of the unfolding of it. Uh, and it also points out how individual human lives uh, can seem to be filled with all kinds of uh, imperfections and kind of hardships and difficulties and challenges, but in fact they are part of our growth. And in looking back on it, I would say Karen and I both had very significant life lessons to go through in the form of various challenges that we faced personally that were all there to help us kind of grow to the level where we would finally be able to meet up and recognize that we shared a, a, a global mission and then move forward from there. So even though we can look back on it and say, well, I wish we met you know, 20 years earlier than November of 2011 or something like that, um, in, in truth, I would say the universe has great wisdom, and I trust it tremendously, and I think uh, Karen and I both went through uh, various particular ordeals in our lives to get us ready to get to this point where we could actually work together to uh, accomplish this uh, kind of amazing achievement of trying to synthesize science and spirituality as we do in uh, this book, Living in a Mindful Universe. Mm. Mm,
2: that's a beautiful perspective. I think that's really
0: helpful too, because
2: there, um, you know, one of the one of the things that I wanted to bring up with both of you, guys, I, figure, I figure that now might be a good time and get both get both your perspectives on it. Um, I wanna I wanna know how does focusing on our or focusing on increasing our spiritual connection and developing a heightened state of soul awareness enhance our spirit or experience as physical incarnates here on Earth with regards to the notion that many people having a physical experience may be attempting to bypass their physical life and attempting to just go back home, as one might say. So in other words, how can this information and work in the spiritual realm support our daily human lives?
1: Well, as it happens, if, if you really buy into the concept that in our book we call metaphysical idealism, that every thought you have, that every act you make with whatever intention is behind it actually affects our unfolding reality. Mm. That makes it highly relevant to our daily lives. I know what you're saying. A lot of times people think of meditation and spirituality as, you know, being a monk, being ascetic, withdrawing from the world. And of course, that certainly is useful in some situations. But what we really are trying to teach people, especially in the book, is how it applies to your daily life. So it could be as simple as um, you know losing a, a lost loved one that's very important to you. And many people go through various stages of uh, sometimes debilitating grief. But if you understand that that soul is still alive and well in some kind of fashion and that you can continue your connection with that person, that can help the grief situation quite uh, remarkably. And also when you have hardships and difficulties – when you're really understanding that those hardships are part of a soul lesson and that if you can expand and get more in touch with why you may have uh, been given that situation to deal with, that can really help grow your awareness in ways that if you're just you know complaining about external circumstances and being a victim of events around you, that really is not a place where you can really grow and learn from. Mm-hmm. But if you realize that all of those kinds of situations are, I mean, I look at them as gifts and opportunities. It's as much as a frustrating situation where I may be angry and sad or, or upset in some fashion is frustrating and maybe blocking me in some aspect of, of life. If you're able to realize that those situations are opportunities to turn a different direction or realize that if you persist, you really will do better. I mean, there's just so many angles. It's incredibly applicable to our lives and Mm. learning how to get into that meditative state of awareness and viewing your life from kind of a more neutral perspective can bring amazing uh, kind of opportunity to Achieve certain goals or uh, approach life in just a completely different way.
0: And I, I would simply add that um, one thing that became very clear to me in the months and years after my coma, my NDE experience, is the reason the whole universe exists is to support uh, sentient beings in this soul school, to support our journey as incarnate beings. This is where we learn and teach Uh, the lessons. And uh, we have to do it by having skin in the game, by having the Mm -hmm. emotional buy-in. And that's why coming into these lives, there's a process of kind of a programmed forgetting to where we don't necessarily remember our plans, our kind of higher souls and soul groups and uh, made in, in coming into this world in terms of planning those hardships and difficulties. Uh, and that's what allows us to really live those lives and learn the lessons. And if we had all of that uh, knowledge of our highest soul about all of our incarnations and life between lives and, and the planning process itself, we wouldn't be quite as uh, able to jump into the game and and have you know the the, the feelings involved, the the wonderful ecstasies of uh, connection with other human beings, and yet the. The pain and suffering of loss of those kind of uh, uh, relationships and everything. If we believe that the physical is all that exists and that somehow death of the physical body is the end, that kind of thing. But uh, it's the important lesson here is that uh, this is the reason the world exists, is for these incarnations and the lessons we can learn. And it's not like we're here so that we can skip school and, uh, you know, go go back to the – spiritual realm and sit there on a cloud playing a harp all day long that's not what this is all about uh and in fact i would say uh, again and you can tell from my statements here that uh, a huge part of this understanding is knowing that reincarnation which has a lot of scientific evidence to it Mm. is absolutely real and part of the bigger picture Uh, but it's this growth uh through these progressive incarnations of all of humanity all of conscious life uh, all of sentience throughout the universe—it's that process of growth and learning and teaching that we accomplish here in these uh, imperfect kind of physical realms. That is why it all is happening. And so, to think that you know you don't like this life and you want to check out early or something is a big mistake because you never escape uh, the issues that are here. I, um. I often say nobody gets out of here dead. What that really <laughs> means is we're all going to. Uh, it's a very just universe. Uh, we reap what we sow, uh, mm. but that's why it's so important to learn these lessons. And I would say that just a short-circuit it, the most uh, uh, ideal way to deal with the choices in life is to manifest unconditional love and compassion, kindness, forgiveness, mercy uh, towards all fellow beings. And that gives us the most direct pathway of ascendance towards mm-hmm. that oneness with the divine. But we have the free will to choose otherwise. And that's what we do in these lives. And if we choose otherwise, we have to be willing to face the consequences. Mm. Because if we hand out a lot of pain and suffering to others, uh, if we're not able to make amends in this lifetime uh, for those transgressions, then we've got to be ready to face up to it in our life review. The life review is not some new age concept. It's been around for more than 2,400 years uh, as an accepted part of the, of the near-death or death process. Uh, And in the life review, we have to face all the residual lessons of our life, any of that residual pain and suffering we gave to others and and never made amends for, we have to feel on their behalf. Mm. That's why the life review is such an important lesson of the false boundaries of self, because when you go through that life review, you don't experience it from your point of view, you experience it from the point of view of those impacted by your thoughts and actions. Uh, so better to clean that up before we leave this uh, this physical world.
2: This is so brilliant. You know, it's bringing up a few a few interesting and very practical things in my mind. But one of the things that I'm I'm kind of keying in on is this notion that our imperfections, our perceived imperfections, and the things that we associate as happening to us. Um, and you know, there's the, the, the little things that, that stumble us along the path and we may think are as imperfections or insecurities or whatever doubts and concerns. It seems to me that those are actually lessons for us to transcend, to learn the lesson, not to bypass it, but to learn it and really face it into, to, yeah, to, um, yeah, they're like gifts, right? Absolutely.
1: It's interesting that, uh, you know, the things that we get most emotional about the things that we Mm. feel most strongly about, those are the clues to your lessons, the things that bother us the most. And those are often a reflection of something within ourselves that needs to be addressed somehow. So if we get angry about a person doing a certain act we really need to flip that. This is something I got very practiced at. I learned about this concept and I began to do this. Every single time I would have some emotional reaction, I would think, okay, why am I having this reaction? It really has nothing to do with the other person. We think that it does, but it really doesn't. And if you can take it a, a step back, and that's where this practice of you know expanding and becoming neutral and finding that space inside becomes very handy. If you can take a step back and think, okay, what is it about this situation that is offering me something to learn? And if you can really figure out what that lesson is, very often those external circumstances just dissolve away and they are no longer a problem. You no longer have an emotional trigger over that sort of thing. And so our daily life offers us so many opportunities to recognize what those lessons are that we may have, as Evan said, chosen to experience in a given lifetime.
2: Mm, I think that's very empowering, the notion that our soul chose to take on these characteristics or these particular um, life circumstances in order for us to grow.
1: Yes, exactly. And it seems like the uh, a really interesting thing is, you know, very often people feel like victims when all of this is going on. And, and if you're an external sort of witness of someone going through a lot of problems for, you know, we all know people, whether it's ourself or someone else, but we know people who are going through really difficult challenges. And an interesting way to view that is to thank them, <laughs> because as each person is mm-hmm. learning their individual lessons and taking on those challenges, they chose to take on Bigger challenges. We need to thank them and appreciate what they're doing and be supportive and help them learn, because as each of us learns those lessons, we are all part of a collective whole. And as each of us learns, the others are not having to go through the same lesson. Mm -hmm. It's a complete flip on how we really uh, are taught to view, our, especially in our Western world, it's a complete flip on how we're taught to view things. So it's interesting.
0: I I would add that most people probably in looking back over their life uh, can see how those challenges and hardships, uh, no matter how uh, devastating at the time, how they often led to personal growth, to personal uh, kind of strengthening, to becoming more whole. Uh, but of course, when we're in the midst of it, uh, no, it's very, it can be very difficult to see that, uh, to see that there's a silver lining there, to see that there might actually be a purpose for these hardships and difficulties. Uh, mm-hmm. But certainly, as a physician, uh, I would include illness and injury. That um, yeah. uh, I, I many times in in uh, looking at uh, circumstances of those around me and patients and what have you, uh, it's become clear to me how uh, these uh, hardships are often uh, tremendous gifts, and they allow us to recover a sense of connection that we're deeply loved and cherished and cared for, that our uh, connections with our fellow uh, beings um, uh, are not something that end with the death of the physical body. And I think this, to me, was one of the powerful uh, Uh, Instigators of my own effort to share my story was the fact that within the first uh, year or two after my coma, I found that by talking with certain friends and especially those friends uh, couples who had lost children, who were bereaved because uh, they had the uh, uh, premature, untimely demise of a child, which I think is one of the most uh, the biggest challenges that that a person can face. But I came to realize that all of them were growing through this experience. And not only that, that no matter how far along the way they were in their grieving process, that they all seemed to acknowledge that that departed child was a very advanced soul who, in fact, had served as their pillar of strength
2: Mm. when they were
0: all going through that. And to me, uh, that kind of opened the door to start to realize how the challenges and hardships in life can often be gifts because they allow us to recover much deeper truths about our connectedness with the universe and the purpose of our very existence. And we can come to see how we grow tremendously through how we deal with those kind of hardships and difficulties.
2: Mm, absolutely. It's such a beautiful sentiment and and really way of weaving, weaving it together. And I, I keep thinking about, this idea of a mindful universe. And I kind of want to um, expand upon that a little bit, especially as it relates to what both of you are sharing in this perspective, because what comes up for me when I think of that is this idea that I'm not alone. Right? This idea that it's not all up to me. I'm not here by myself. I don't have to figure it out because life is largely unfigureoutable. But maybe that there is forces, or there's a, uh, the universe is a living organism, if you will, or a hologram simulation, however, you, however people might want to think about it, and I'm just part of the whole, but it's not just me and my own little egocentric universe trying to figure it all out by myself.
0: Well, that's a very good point, and uh, I would say one, one thing about living in a mindful universe is we get very deep into looking at the mind-body question. Uh, and looking at the very nature of consciousness. And you cannot do that very deep look without getting uh, richly into the world of quantum physics and what it's trying to tell us about the nature of reality. Because mm. at its core, uh, the, question, uh, the questions raised in quantum physics about the physical universe and about our knowledge of the physical universe uh, is, in essence, the mind-body question at a most fundamental level. Uh, And one thing that starts to emerge is, especially in modern neuroscience of consciousness and and deep studies of philosophy of mind, uh, is the understanding that there really is one mind. Uh, So, in fact, we're all participating in the dream of the one mind. And you might, uh, if you wanted to um, uh, try and picture what that one mind is, I would say, that, yes, it's it's the same as that God presence of infinite love that many NDEers and other spiritual journeyers have witnessed uh, on their journeys. Uh, but it's, it's that sense of oneness with that. Uh, and I, I would say in, in that sense that, uh, for example, my religious upbringing, I grew up in North Carolina, went to a Methodist church, and then uh, later in life to an Episcopal church. But that whole notion in Christianity that we are separate from God, uh, I think, is a very damaging uh, viewpoint. Because, in fact, our deepest kind of conscious awareness, I would say, is absolutely one with that one mind. That I would say is that creative God, especially as you come to realize all the incredible depth of what quantum physics is actually trying to tell us about the nature of reality, the very nature of time and space. Uh, How it all appears to be happening, really, in a now—how past and future cleverly wrought Mm. illusions. Mm. So, this is really about a much deeper sense of oneness, and and also, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, that life review very commonly described uh, somewhere between thirty and sixty percent of NDEs, depending on the series, but they involve uh, life reviews, and the life review—one of the most fundamental lessons is you don't experience it with your boundaries of self intact. Those boundaries of self dissolve. So in another uh, sense, the life review is showing you how that one mind is doing this dream and that you may be like a facet on a diamond of the one mind, but each and every one of us uh, is a facet on the same mind. And so we have different perspectives. Mm -hmm. But we're really using the generative force of existence and of self-awareness of the one mind, that God force. And that's why it's so important not to try and portray us as separate from it. Mm. And this is something that I've come not only to kind of think about and muse over, but to actually live by going within. And that was something that became very apparent to me about beginning about two years after my coma, was the only way to make any sense of this was an extraordinary uh, effort, a uh, prolonged effort, to go within. And uh, for the last uh, seven years or so, I've been meditating an hour or two or more a day. Uh, I used the sacred acoustics uh, sounds, differential frequency sound brain entrainment, to get me into very deep states of transcendental conscious awareness but for me that form of deep meditation is always a form of centering prayer it's a form Mm. of acknowledging the oneness of mind that i'm one with all life throughout this universe that no matter where i might try and put you know another person on that spectrum that when i go deep within mind i realize that we're all part of that one mind that we're all in this together uh, and that's why I can see that binding force of unconditional love is so crucial uh at really getting the bigger picture here uh, but uh going within is a, an extremely uh, efficient way to get in touch with that one mind and come to realize you're right, you're not in this alone. This is just another side of that coin uh in the uh, brain body or, or the mind brain discussion uh that acknowledges that consciousness is not created as a physical product within the brain because all of neuroscience sooner or later gets to a point where they have to throw that out the window Mm -hmm. because it doesn't work. The hard problem of consciousness uh, becomes an impossible problem if you're truly shackled to only the physicalist uh, worldview. Um, But this uh, going within is really a way of living the uh, model in neuroscience and philosophy of mind that has uh, replaced that uh, simplistic uh, false view of the brain creating consciousness because now there is something called filter theory which of course has actually been around for more than 100 years but filter theory uh, is the notion that consciousness is primordial uh, that one mind uh, pre-exists the entire physical universe and that um, in fact the brain serves as a filter a reducing mm. valve mm. to limit that consciousness down to this tiny little trickle of the apparent here and now and the false boundaries of self versus non-self. And when you acknowledge that model, which is becoming the dominant model in neuroscience and philosophy of mind, uh, you start to realize how uh, traversing that veil, getting through that veil, and I would argue that veil is very much kind of put together in the neocortex, but that we can escape that. Uh, and broaden our connection with universal mind by going within, and that's what the meditation, that's what living it's in a mindful it's universe it's- is all about. Doing is helping individual uh, seekers to come to this kind of knowledge and understanding, so that they too can go within as a means of getting out into the great wisdom and creativity and co-creation of the universe itself.
1: Mm. Mm
2: taking a pause for a moment. Yeah, it's, it's very profound. And I'm <clears throat> what's what's coming through for me right now, as we hit the halfway mark here, is I'm really, you know, both of you mentioned learning lessons. And I'm really curious, what are some lessons or a profound lesson that each one of you learned as a byproduct of you coming together, both of your worlds kind of merging together?
1: Well, that's a good question. Sometimes our lessons are a little scary to talk about, but I'll <laughs> set, the, I'll set the, the example. So one of my lessons um, certainly uh, is related to the fact that I now do public speaking events mm. with Evan. And when I was younger, I um, I was a, kind of a precocious person. Uh, kind of an advanced little child that a lot of people didn't want to hear my words of wisdom. And uh, <laughs> I was kind of uh, told to sit in the corner and keep my mouth shut. And uh, this came up again and again from teachers, from peers, from parents, you know, that, that I was very outspoken and wanted to share all kinds of things. And I, I, my perception of what was going on was that I needed to not be so enthusiastic about how smart I was. And so I pretty much learned, keep your mouth shut. Don't don't speak. And so when I first met Evan, and uh, one of the things he said to me that first week that we knew each other, he had some kind of, I I don't know, prophetic vision or something that he said. Now, remember, this is before he even had a publisher for his book. But he had a knowing that this message would be very important to the world at some point. And so he said to me, you know, that he, he and I together would be traveling the world speaking to people about these kinds of concepts. And I looked at him and I said, no, you're a nut. There is no <laughs> way I'm going to be speaking to anyone about anything in a public fashion, because I had learned my lesson, keep your mouth shut and sit in the corner. And uh, the lesson actually, though, was flipped, is that I needed to be able to feel as though my voice mattered. And many situations in my life presented themselves to me where I had an opportunity to fight back against, you know, my voice matters. And in many, many personal situations, I learned that I did need to speak up, that I did need to um, say what was on my mind in a fashion that could be heard by the other person or people. And so that was a lesson that definitely has come to the fore. And it's still kind of an issue when, uh, We go out and do public speaking and things. Sometimes I feel like nobody cares what I think. They just want to hear what the scientist has to say. And of course, that Mm. is the truth for some people. But it's more when you flip it and realize, no, this is about me having to be in situations where that may be the case, but I still need to be strong and be who I am. And so that is an absolute huge lesson I'm still learning and uh, that would not really have come To play until Evan and I uh, came to know each other.
0: I would say, uh, from my point of view, um, uh, a very deep lesson, and those who've read Proof of Heaven will realize that I've struggled with this for ages, but of course, uh, Karen has been uh, a tremendous light uh, in terms of guiding me into a deeper understanding of it, uh, has to do with my adoption wound. You know, the Mm. fact that I was adopted. And I talk about that in Proof of Heaven. Uh, how that uh, particular set of experiences uh, led me to have uh, kind of some low self worth through periods of my life where, uh, you know, the, the general thinking would be well, it, you know, if I wasn't even good enough for my birth mother and she left me behind, then I'm just not good enough to exist. And that kind of existential challenge. Um, like many adoptees, um, you know I faced that through much of my life, and that was a struggle I went through in trying to interpret my experience uh, as portrayed in proof of heaven Now, uh, Karen has been extremely important to me in terms of for one thing, acknowledging kind of the depth of that wound and 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 I want to point out here that that kind of abandonment wound is not restricted to just those who have been put up for adoption. That's kind of a universal wound. In fact, I Mm. came back from my journey realizing that the vast majority of the world's problems result from the fact that we don't even love ourselves enough. Mm. If we could recover— that love of who we truly are as these divine, eternal, spiritual beings that have the full grace of God right there in our very being—that uh, would be one thing. But of course, most of us don't have that memory so automatically. And uh, so that's what my journey has been about: is, is trying to recover that—that uh, that I was not a, a child who was imperfect and left behind by my mother and therefore, uh, you know, damaged goods, but that in fact. Uh, uh, I, I have a very uh, lofty spiritual being that uh, I think Karen was instrumental at showing me. And a big part of that was... In my struggle to understand all this, even though I came back from that world and realized one of the deepest scientific truths of my journey was that love serves as the binding force for this universe, uh, I, I kept coming back and trying to explain my experience as something in mind and consciousness and brain. And I was really caught up in all that. She was the one who really introduced me to that concept of heart consciousness. Mm. And that it's this is not about an act of loving, you know, as a verb, but to actually become the love mm. that I am. And uh, she, uh, <clears throat> you know, it sounds simple, and yet it's a very profound kind of realization that I've incorporated into my meditation uh, and certainly come to incorporate into my life. Uh, that that love is uh, an extremely powerful force. I would say, in fact, that unconditional love has infinite power to heal, whether you're talking about the individual, the soul group, all of humanity, all of life on Earth, or all of sentience throughout the cosmos. Uh, That unconditional love is an extremely powerful force. And recovering that love for ourselves is the first Mm. step. And, And it's only possible to truly... Manifest that love for others, you know, loving our neighbor, loving our enemy. Uh, If we love ourselves and can truly bring that love into this world in that powerful way. And I would say that uh, uh, my uh, experience with uh, Karen over the last few years has been absolutely essential. Uh, at my framing up of my existence in that particular format, which I believe is very valuable to others. And it's something that we expand on in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe. Mm,
2: That's so good. Thank you both for sharing that. And, um, you know, what, what, what just kind of popped up in my mind as you were sharing that was, I remember a friend of mine told me one time, you know, he reminded me that, all of our pain and all of our trauma, or the things that we carry with us, the fears, is essentially the fear of being abandoned by God, right?
0: And it That's traces very back much the case. And I, Yeah, yeah. And of course, we're never abandoned by God at all. So this <laughs> is about recovering that ongoing linkage.
1: Now it's very interesting. You know, Evan talks about the abandonment that he had as a mm. as a uh, as an infant. But I had just speaking to exactly what you just said when I first began doing something called uh, Sufi heart rhythm meditation, a certain practice of being aware at the heart and matching it to your breathing. When I first started doing that, one of the uh, experiences I had was I went into this deep despair of uh, loneliness, being alone, and no one was here to really help me, and that I was had to do everything myself, and it was. Despair, just deep, deep despair. And it was exactly what you just said, that it was really feeling like being abandoned by God. And, you know, when we say God, we're not talking about the religious God necessarily. It's up for everyone to really interpret what that means. But what we're speaking of is that oneness, that one mind, that collective mind that we're all a part of. When you feel like you're not a part of that, when you do feel like you're alone, and it can be Quite, quite despairing. Now, that abandonment, I feel, is a universal wound, just like you stated. Okay. We all have that, and it manifests in our physical lives in different ways. For Evan, it was, you know, being abandoned by a birth mother, not abandoned, but being given up to a, a, a family who could provide better. But my form of abandonment in a, the physical world was that my parents got divorced and my father wasn't around. And so my interpretation of that as a young girl was that I was abandoned by my father. I was abandoned again by my brothers, you know, in adolescence. They used to be my best buddies. And suddenly it wasn't cool to hang out with the girl. And, you know, we all have some form of abandonment that gives us an opportunity to realize, no, no matter what happens in the physical world, we are still connected to that one mind. You were speaking to that earlier. That connection, that knowing that we're not alone is so, so vital to our existence. But we've lost it. It's not something we teach in schools. It's not something that very many uh, religions teach. It's, it's, it's really we've been brought up in a doctrine of separation. And we're not separate. And this is part of the worldview that we're really trying to influence back to really knowing that we're all part of something really important and we're all vital pieces to that whole. Without each and every one of us, we're not whole. Mm.
2: Mm. Yeah, really beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So thank you for sharing that, by the way. That was really, really powerful. And I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of people listening to this, because I think that we all on some level, because of our human conditioning and whatever we've gone through in our life. Um, and I don't think many people actually got the proper guidance to uh, to navigate their life experience. I think that this wound oftentimes um, gets imprinted because they didn't have somebody to explain to them what you're explaining. So they didn't even have any kind of real spiritual education. They're just almost like we, we've almost kind of like been bumping, bumping into things along our life, trying to figure this whole thing out.
0: I think that that's why, uh you know, kind of, um, defining this uh, spirituality, I think is so important because, um, I think, um, There's a lot of value to modern uh, religions, but on the other hand, any teaching uh, within a modern uh, orthodoxy uh, of separation, of being better than, Mm. um, you know, in my mind, that is a very dysfunctional and false interpretation of the actual uh, message uh, coming from the prophets, no matter who you're looking at, whether you're talking about Buddha uh, or Christ or Muhammad. Uh, I believe that what's happened is that other human beings have taken their message and kind of distorted it in in the way of seeking control. And that's why in the modern era, whenever I see uh, religions that are really harping on the oneness, on love and compassion and kindness and helping others and not uh, trying to foment some kind of separation, I think those are very valuable because spirituality, in my view— Uh, is a very crucial aspect of human existence and something that can bring great joy and a great uh, uh, kind of comfort and completeness in our existence. And that spirituality really just means a sense of purpose and meaning and also this very strong and concrete sense of connection. Mm. And it's connection not just with other human beings and connection not just with all of life on earth but a much bigger sense of connection, that we're uh, really all in this together. Uh, and, and, and that's why I would say that often some of the best uh, uh, feelings we can engender are when we help others, when we're here to uh, really help other people, especially people who are in, in tough times and tough circumstances. And that's where we can really start to harvest the emotional power Of this oneness and of being there for each other, which I think offers tremendous uh, kind of growth in our ability of feeling more complete and in living this life. So spirituality uh, should be kind of a concept and uh, something that we strive for uh, that has great power to influence our health. Uh, And by health, I mean really in the big sense, and that's becoming more whole and complete and who we are here and meant to be. Uh, is that kind of healing process. Uh, and the this, this spirituality is really that sense of connection. And unfortunately, our modern culture, which is heavily influenced by modern science and philosophy, has been led into a false cul-de-sac uh, of this materialist view. And in fact, when you really break it down. Materialist science uh, at its very fundamental level uh, is known as reductive materialism. And what that means is the only stuff that exists is the physical world, which is false. Uh, And then also that the best way to understand how that physical world works is to break it down into the tiniest particles and then learn the laws that govern the interaction of those particles and assume that somehow that's going to teach you how the universe works. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that's completely backwards. Uh, That's a bottom-up approach that, from my point of view, is quite useless in terms of deriving any kind of big knowledge about this universe. Much better to use a top-down approach, one where we really try and take the big picture. Uh, And that is something that is more easily accomplished in meditation by thinning the veil and getting in touch with that uh, greater mind, that one mind or the collective mind, as Karen and I often refer to it. Uh, And coming to see how this can always be win-win and that there's all those kind of dark imperfections in our lives when we take a high enough view of it all from our higher soul's perspective, we can always see how those imperfections are actually the engines of our growth. And it's how we deal with those imperfections and learn to assimilate them and come to see it all as a beautiful lesson about existence That we can actually grow as one and grow our connection and basically our relationship with that force, with that deity, with that God, that uh, infinite power of love that is so influential in people who have had NDEs and other spiritually transformative experiences. Well, you don't have to wait to be smoked down by meningitis Mm -hmm. or to have an NDE because as a conscious sentient being, you have the power to come to know every bit of this. Uh, and it's simply by going within and exploring that consciousness that all of us to, can come to know th- these truths. And this is something, that, a journey that we describe in detail in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe. Thank you. Mm.
1: Now, we also we also want to bring up uh, that, yes, as we explain, you know, you love the title, but our subtitle is a neurosurgeon's journey into nice. the heart of consciousness and to that end. We've created on uh, Eben's website, EbenAlexander.com. If you go there, you'll see there's a uh, a, a, uh, notation for your 33-day journey into the heart Mm -hmm. of consciousness. And this is an invitation to anyone, whether they've read the book or not. It doesn't matter. It's completely free. And we want to make it available to everyone. We have a couple thousand people already taking the course from all over the world. There's a place to leave comments. What happens is you get an email each day, a very simple email with a one-word topic. And then there's a little kind of a lesson from the book and a practice, an actual practice that you can do to put that concept into action in your daily life. And we kind of take people from the brain to the heart throughout this 33 days, and uh, we teach people how to connect within and how to connect to that oneness of the universe, and it's all free. It's our gift to everyone. We, w- we hope that everyone on the planet will uh, take advantage of this opportunity and start to really integrate this type of worldview into your life.
0: As we like to say, no soul left behind, <laughs> and that's what this 33-day course uh, that will be up uh, for... Uh, a long time to come. So, we encourage people whenever they hear this uh, podcast to get on board, go to evanalexander.com, and right there at the top will be that banner join the 33 day journey into the heart of consciousness. And we invite all of your listeners to participate. Mm-hmm.
2: That sounds fantastic. I'm so glad that you uh, you brought that up and mentioned that. I definitely will be um, exploring that myself. Absolutely, highly recommend everybody listening to this. Jump on that right away, please. That link will be in the show notes. And um, I want to just take maybe the next like few minutes just to put a spotlight on the Sacred Acoustics because um, after our first interview, Dr. Alexander, I actually went to the website. And um downloaded that for myself, and I want everybody else to to really get a feel for how they can use that in their life as well
1: yes, well we met we've been mentioning sacred acoustics briefly, and of course sound that was the uh, setting where yeah. Evan and I first met uh exploring that concept uh in, that's what we have in common uh to begin with. but sacred acoustics is a company that I co-founded with uh, someone named Kevin Cossey. He's a mechanical electrical engineer and has now become an audio engineer. But he and I together began creating uh, different types of brainwave entrainment technology. This was something we were inspired by by exploring the other types of technology that other producers had created. But we wanted to make our own. And for about a year leading up to the time that I first met Evan. Kevin and I had met, and we began to create these sounds for our personal use, and we would create these uh, different audio files, and we would listen to them at the same time from our respective locations. He was in New York, and I was in Baltimore at the time, and so we didn't have to even be in the same location, but we would listen at the same time and then get on the phone and tell each other what our experience was like. And lo and behold, we started to eventually have shared experiences. We would have similar things occur. We would sense each other in our journeys. And this became an incredibly fun and useful way to validate information that when you do it just on your own, sometimes you're kind of left wondering, did that really happen? Was that Mm -hmm. just real different uh, knowings or different visual or auditory things that might come up? And when we met Evan. He, We invited him to listen to our sound technology. He was the first other soul that we invited to listen to it, and he loved it so much that we began three-way journeys. He was in yet another location, and the three of us would listen, get on the phone, and tell mm-hmm. each other what happened. And This is something that we encourage people to do if you have a friend or a spouse or any kind of person who might want to explore with you. It's very, very validating to do this with someone else. But eventually, when uh, Proof of Heaven came out, Evan was very, very interested in sharing ways for other people to access these types of uh, realms of consciousness. And so he encouraged Kevin and I to begin the company Sacred Acoustics so that we could make these recordings available to others. And that's exactly what Eben and I teach, when we go to different locations and give presentations uh, with the concepts and content we've been discussing on this interview, we always include an experiential element so that people can, right then Mm -hmm. and there, experience what it's like. And we do have a free download on our website, like you mentioned. Just enter your email, we'll send you a link. And the 33-Day Journey includes four uh, other, well, some of them are the same as the free download, but Four recordings that we uh, provide for you throughout the 33 days.
0: The only other thing I would like to add to this is uh, uh, why I was attracted to binaural beats in the first place. This came about two years after my coma. And, of course, as I mentioned early on in this podcast, uh, the shocker to me was how come I could have such overwhelming damage to my neocortex And yet the exact opposite of what I would have expected was the result. That is an extreme enhancement of ultra real, vibrant uh, and alive experience with, uh, you know, no way to be formed up in my brain at all, given the destruction to my brain. that was so clear. And so I wanted to duplicate that somehow. I wanted to neutralize the information processing in my neocortex, but without necessarily coming close to death. Uh, And that's where this notion of binaural beats was presented to me. Important to point out that that phenomenon was first described in the mid-1800s by a Prussian physicist named Heinrich Wilhelm Dove. And he noted that if you put a a simple tone into one ear, say 100 hertz, 100 cycles per second, in one ear and – for example, 104 hertz in the other ear, that somewhere in the brain there is generated the arithmetic difference between them. So 104 minus 100 would be a 4 hertz wavering tone that's generated in the brain. Now it turns out that is generated in the lower brain stem in a place called the superior olivary complex. And that is where the magic comes in. Because Mm. in fact, by doing this slow left-right oscillation, in the lower brainstem, I believe we're actually liberating conscious awareness. We're actually short-circuiting consciousness by going into a circuit that evolved about 300 million years ago when vertebrates uh, first crawled out of the buck. And we're basically detaching conscious awareness from that consciousness at that brainstem level. Uh, and, of course, uh, I don't really know all the, the details of how this works. We're still investigating all that, but it has profound implications in what, in terms of what these sounds can do in generating very rich uh, transcendental states of consciousness. Um, they've been used uh, in the late decades of the 20th century to enhance things like remote viewing and out-of-body experiences, mm. which are both ways of getting into information that's beyond the ken of our physical senses. Uh, But obviously, they can do far more than that in terms of liberating our conscious awareness and essentially setting our soul free from the shackles of the physical brain. Because I've come to realize that we are conscious in spite of our brain. So this is all a process of getting in touch with that collective mind or universal consciousness by traversing the veil, which you can do with these kinds of differential sound frequencies like sacred acoustics.
2: Mm. This is so exciting, so empowering, and um, I love that you guys have created a really practical tool that anybody can immediately put into action and have an experience of themselves. And so for everyone listening, again, if you even need me to mention this, I really just recommend you immediately go to the website um, get, get the journey and also get the sacred acoustics. I've been playing with the sacred acoustics myself, but this just kind of re-inspired me to double down on that and, uh, put some more skin in the game, as you say, and really like, um, explore it at a deeper level. I'm getting like this moment of like, wow, I'm getting more of kind of a context of how powerful this can be with a little more consistency. So I really appreciate you to
0: bringing this to all
2: of our attention.
0: Well, it's it's our pleasure. And, uh, I I mean, to me, it's just astonishing that you can do all of this with something as simple as sound. Mm. Uh, In fact, in all of our many journeys, we encounter people who are taking all kinds of different pathways into this kind of knowing. Um, And a number of them are are taking various uh, uh, medications like ayahuasca that has DMT as its Mm -hmm. active principle. And what I'd like to encourage people to realize is I believe that with sound, and with meditation, you can get much deeper and and glean more important lessons. Uh, Not that those kind of drugs don't offer us uh, very fascinating views into the nature of consciousness and reality, but I believe that it's dangerous to be using them, especially uh, as an individual. uh, And if you're doing it for recreational purposes, things like that, I think that's very wrong and can be dangerous to your... uh, mental, emotional and spiritual health. Mm. But sound uh, is a very powerful way to do it. And with an ongoing practice of meditation like this, uh, you know, especially if you can do it daily for even 20 minutes or so, I think that you'll find that the sound is a far safer and in fact, a more uh, effective way of of learning the lessons that we are here to learn. So I generally encourage people not to pursue the pathway of of substances uh, along those lines.
2: Yeah, well, just on that note, this is something that doesn't wear off either, right? We can have a—and I've done a lot of exploration in the entheogenic world, and one of the things that's very clear to me is that without proper integration, mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical, and the the integration and groundedness, it can actually— people can lose themselves a little bit and get attached to an outside substance to re-elicit an endogenous experience. So what I love about this is that this is something that you don't have an it. There's no, there's no like attachment to something outside of yourself other than a play button that elicits an internal experience that doesn't fade away.
0: Right. I think that's a very good point. And, uh, uh, you're right. It does change. And as you mentioned earlier in your comment, uh, I found a, a profound shift in my own kind of functioning of my consciousness and my mind uh, with this prolonged uh, uh, practice of meditation, of going within for an hour or two every day. Uh, over time, your, your entire mind shifts and your relationship mm-hmm. to the universe shifts and all of it becomes far more positive, affirming, and uh, uh, seems to have purpose and direction favorable to the evolution of the soul. So these are all crucial uh, abilities, especially in our modern world with all of its uh, kind of crazy and nonsensical twists and turns. (laughs) Uh Uh, It's nice to be able to accomplish some kind of a deep uh, kind of centering and anchoring to a reality and understanding that really supports our growth as a soul. Beautifully
2: put. I I love that. Thank you. I want to thank both of you so much for coming on, making the time, and sharing your wisdom and your experience and what you've created for the benefit of everyone. This has been such an incredible interview.
0: Well, Ronnie, thanks so much for having us. It's been great talking with you, and I hope we get to do it again sometime.
1: Yes, thank you so much for including me. Uh,
0: My pleasure. Thank you.